0: x Radio TV. For more information on the x Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.XZoneRadioTV.com or www.XZoneTVChannel.com or Simultv.com and XZBN.net.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Paranormal Stakeout. I'm your host, Larry Lawson, and also your guide on this continuing journey into the unknown as we seek the answers to what really exists beyond our reality. And as always, I'm coming to you from the headquarters of the X-Zone Radio and Television Broadcast Network in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and I'm actually speaking to you from my studio in the southern command post of the X-Zone Broadcast Network in beautiful Vero Beach and Felsmere, Florida. Uh, tonight, I'm, I'm, I'm gratified to have a member of my extended professional family with us, uh, the family of first responders, Mr. Brian Messinger. Uh, Brian is a firefighter paramedic with 28 years of service to his community. He's had uh, an interest in the paranormal since a very young age when his father and grandmother exposed him to some interesting topics and events in the paranormal field that helped him develop his interest. But it was his personal experiences as an adult that led him to become a paranormal investigator. He enjoys every aspect of the field and the adrenaline rush he gets from uncovering an unexplained piece of evidence. He's joined by his wife, who is an avid supporter of his work and his journey to find out the answers to what really exists on the other side. Uh, Brian is with U.S. Paranormal Research. He's in the Chicago, Illinois area. So, Brian, welcome to Paranormal Stakeout, my friend.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, I want
1: I want to talk more about uh, we first responders getting involved in this in this field. But first, I'd like to hear how you personally got into the field. What what got you in here? You mentioned in your bio that your your dad and your grandma. Uh, you to some things. So, uh, tell us about it. Well, growing up,
2: uh, like I said, dad was a uh, avid, you know, uh, in the paranormal. He loved that uh, the TV show of Leonard Nimoy in Search of. Um, wow. To watch that, um, whether it be books, you know, whatever the case may be, I was always handed them by him and my grandmother uh, to read on, you know, hauntings and UFOs and Bigfoot, you name it. Uh, mm-hmm. I took a liking to the paranormal side of it. Uh, as far as, you know, the, the spirit hauntings, that type of thing. And strangely enough, my grandmother had a house where she lived in Richmond, in Illinois here, um, that a lot of weird things happened. And uh, I got to see some cool stuff there um, and, you know, just um, doors opening by themselves and closing her house, just weird smells like cigar smells, that type of thing and um, a number of years ago actually what really propelled me into this was i had an experience uh, i had a daughter who uh, was ill at the time she was about six or seven and i woke up to my grandmother standing at the end of my bed and that's really cool and all but grandma been dead for about 18 years um <laughs> so and i know i'm not crazy because my my bride of 27 years this year um as she rolled over, as I woke her up, and she said, "Why is your grandmother in her room?" So, uh,
1: oh, well, <laughs> it kind of puts it in perspective. It so, was that was that the uh, as an adult was that the event that propelled you into conducting investigations?
2: Um Yeah, it, it really I think cemented my uh, my belief in what I want to do here and what I want to try and find. Um, I was looking for answers, and if anything, I've only created more questions. But. Um, yeah, I, I truly believe that was the event that really put me over the top.
1: Well, what what answers are you looking for what What is your what is your what's your goal in all this?
2: My goal in all this is to actually talk to my grandmother. I, I want to make contact with her again in some way, shape, or form, um, and I'm trying to find a way to do that. Um, I don't know if I ever will, but I'm looking to do that, um, and I just. I, there's gotta be something more to to just this big blue marble floating around in space. Um, I can't believe this is just it, you know? It's been going on for a long time, thousands of years, people have been talking about it, so there's something to it.
1: Okay, all right. Uh, uh, Your team, you've got a team now, U.S. Paranormal Research. Um, How did you bring them together?
2: Um, the, the team formed. there was uh, originally six of us in 2014. I was with another group prior to that, and the leader of that group, the founder, um, for the lack of a better term, kind of imploded. And he just disbanded the team, and he's kind of doing his own thing now. And mm-hmm. I wish him but the best at it. Uh, like I said, no hard feelings. We're still actually very good friends. And uh, so that day, we uh, kind of all got the email from him. The five of us that were from his team got together and formed a new team uh, on my deck over some beers and some pizza and decided what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it. Uh Uh, It was in 2014 September, and here we are almost five years later, and we're running strong. We hit the ground running, and uh, we're doing some cool things.
1: Okay. Well, I got to ask you this. Uh, Only, you know, dealing with other teams, seeing other teams uh, over the years, what caused the implosion? Can you, can you um, share that at all? I mean, without going um, into personal details, he, he obviously.
2: He just wanted to go a different direction. Okay. Uh, he, he took up the passion of chasing uh, Bigfoot in the local area, in the southern Wisconsin area. Um, and he kind of didn't really want to do so much of the ghosts uh, part of it anymore, or The you know, the spirit hunts. Um, mm-hmm. And he just kind of fell in love with the Bigfoot aspect of it. And like I said, he's done very well with it, and I'm very happy for him. And actually, I've been out in the area with him that he goes, in southern Wisconsin here, and I've I don't know if it's a bigfoot living out there, but I will tell you in the areas where we've been in the woods, um, there's a, there's some weird stuff happening out there with it.
1: Do you see a connection between um, what you're doing now with your group, which is uh, I, I'm assuming pretty much per, uh, paranormal spirit work, <laughs> and bigfoot? Do you see a connection? I don't know so much if it's a, if it's a connection.
2: Uh, I think there's definitely a cryptid aspect. Um, That there's a lot of undiscovered things on this planet. They're finding how many new species of bugs and plants and you name it every day in this world. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that still need to be explored in areas that haven't even been touched by humans. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think there's definitely a possibility, but I don't think there's too much of a connection between, I would say, spirits and Bigfoot per se.
1: Okay, because there there are theories out there, Mm -hmm. and I'd I'd be interested to hear what your theory of Ghosts are if you want to toss that in here, but uh, there's a, there's folks that talk about a connection between Bigfoot Ghosts and frankly even aliens and they discuss it in the context of different dimensions Do you have a feeling on that at all? Well, <clears throat> again, you know dimension
2: thing um, as far as ghosts go um, There's you know energy obviously never ceases to exist. We, you know uh, science tells us that it merely changes shape and form and um, as far as the ghost aspect, you know, like I said, I there's a couple different theories in my head on it. I, I really believe that it could be as simple as two timelines or you know, dimensions, if you want to call them that, um, mm-hmm. kind of rubbing together and it's a thin fabric, if you will. Um, I, I always wonder if when we see like a you know, a haunting or if you see an apparition that's dressed in that old clothing, are they seeing you on the other side? And it always makes me wonder, um. And you know it it's kind of an interesting theory just in my head. Um, it's it's one of those things that if it if it is, that'd be cool. I'd love to find some kind of history in a writing talking about seeing the modern side. Mm-hmm. um that I think that would be very cool that would give some validity to it. Um, is in with the energy portion of it, like I said, is it is it just a repeat energy, you know stored energy like a battery uh, impressed upon that location and it's just replaying itself. so it, it's hard to say. Uh, which one it is? Obviously, nobody's an expert in this field. I don't think anybody oh, has an answer.
1: I'm glad to hear you say that.
2: But uh, you know, we all have our own theories. We all have our own kind of ideas about it, and that's just kind of my thoughts
1: on it. How are we going to bring all this? That's kind of a, a question I ask a lot at the end. But you know, how in the heck are we going to get everybody together? Then there's so many different theories out there. How are we going to get everybody, even with different theories, heading into the same direction?
2: Well, you know, I've worked in a firehouse a long time, Larry, and i got to tell you, you're never going to make everybody happy at one time. <laughs> um, that's just a definite. I will tell you that there obviously needs to be some kind of a, a group or, um, I don't know what you would call it, almost like a society, if you will, or uh, some kind of a guidance, some kind of a, a
1: commission, maybe? commission, whatever
2: you want to call it. Um, You know, if that's a commission would be great, something that kind of gives us some guidelines and uh, gives everybody some buy-in and input into it that we can network with each other a little more. Instead of all the bashing I see and all this, you know, oh, no, this is fake, this is fake, this is fake. You can have your opinions,
1: but, you know, give some credit where credit's due, you know. (laughs) Um, Well, how do you... How do you guys look at evidence? And you're talking about people saying, well, you know, c- c- commenting and, and uh, about others' evidence and what they think is fake and, and what's not. How do you guys set up your, your well, uh, evidence vetting?
2: When we do our evidence reviews after an investigation, um, everybody's assigned, you know, a portion. Let's say we have eight cameras. You know, you take two cameras, yada, and so and so. On. And same with the audio. You know, there's three recorders, whatever the case may be. You take one. I'll take one. We'll all listen to them.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Jot down all of our notes of what everybody hears. Uh, we extract that from that you know group of audio or the video, uh, and then we, as a group, there's 18 of us on the team, um, and we we get together and we kind of hash it out. You know, what are your thoughts? And is there you know is this something you remember saying, or is it something that you know? Because we try to you know obviously we miss things, but we try to tag everything, whatever the case may be, when we're doing audio. Mm-hmm. And- when we're left with no further answers, okay, then we go back to the location, we try to reproduce it, if we can. Uh, if okay. We that, then when you're left with no other further answers, then I, we just accept it for what it is.
1: Okay, how often does that happen? How often are you able to, de- to debunk your evidence?
2: Probably, I would say 60% of the time. Okay. Uh, you know, whether it be a stomach growl or whatever the case may be. Um, we're, we're not quick to do the old, as we like to say, you know, hashtag, it's paranormal posted. Um, okay. So okay. we try to vet our evidence out uh, very thoroughly. And if we're really stumped on something, there's a couple other groups in the area that we lean on a little bit. We work okay. together. All uh, right. We well, have to do it. See what well,
1: they do. Let me. I'm, I'm going to cut you short sure. here because I, I want to continue this thought. But we're getting ready to go to, for, to our first break, so uh, stay. Uh, keep that thought, and folks, stay tuned with us. We'll be back shortly on Paranormal Stakeout with Brian Messinger and U.S. Paranormal Research. Be right back.
3: yeah guys you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me simultv.com exactly are you guys psychic too of course we all know about simultv.com simultv.com
1: and we are back ladies and gentlemen paranormal stakeout my guest tonight brian messinger 28 years firefighter in the Chicago, Illinois area. I'm really glad to have you with us tonight, Brian. Can continue our thought before we get on the break. You talked about how you guys uh, vet your evidence. You make every attempt to, to debunk. And what do you said? 60% of the evidence you, uh, you take a look at your, you're able to debunk. Is that right?
2: That's true. Yeah.
1: Okay. But I want to talk about how you set up your investigations. A, a lot of my listeners out there, are part of groups or um, are new to groups or setting up their own groups. Yeah. How, when you set up your investigations, do you, do you construct things so that you can uh, ensure um, keeping the evidence sterile, if you will, keeping that evidence pool sterile, uh, doing what you can to make sure you've crossed all your T's, dotted all your I's, and made sure that evidence that you've gotten cannot be contaminated or something else. What do you do? Um, well,
2: first thing is, you know, we'll, we'll get a, we have a contact page on our website. Um, whether we get a contact or a lead comes in from one of the other investigators. Uh, my wife is our administrative assistant, as it were. Um, I guess, well, we call her the queen of organized. Uh, <laughs> and she's the one who will reach out to the client um, and set up a a walkthrough or a preliminary meeting with them. Uh, Mm -hmm. We go to the house, you know, two or three of us will go to the house. We take an audio recorder with, and we just kind of interview them a little bit. We have a list of questions that we go through um, and ask them, you know, dates, times, that type of stuff. When is it occurring? Uh, Is there anything specific that makes the event happen? Whatever the case may be.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Once we go from there, an email will go out to the assigned team, whether it be, you know, four investigators or eight investigators, depending on the size of the building. Because um, that's one thing we try to make sure is we always investigate in pairs so we mm-hmm. can keep that um, continuity. So there's no speculation, nothing like that. If one person saw it, chances are two people saw it or heard it. Um, so we'll, we'll set up the investigation. When the team arrives, um, the lead of the group, for that, that night, we'll meet with the client, uh, talk to them a little bit about what's gonna happen, how we set up. Uh, usually we let them kind of watch us so they get an idea of what we're doing. Uh-huh. Um, we'll set up our cameras, our audio, and while the setup is happening, uh, one individual will walk around with you know a millimeter or whatever the case may be. Sometimes they, and everybody always has a recorder on them. Everybody carries a recorder with them. Um, so that person will walk around with a millimeter and do some bass line readings. Okay. Uh, With a uh, thermal gun, you know, little laser guns for temperature, that type of thing. And they'll do a base reading. Uh, We also check for any open electrical in the basements for hazards because we don't want to walk into that in the dark. That's the fireman and me talking. (laughs) Uh, So we always make sure we look for that type of stuff as well. Um, And they'll get a baseline reading of the building. Uh, We do our investigation. We go out in teams of two for about 45 minutes to an hour at a time depending on the floors, or locations, and always two people in the command area to keep an eye on the monitor and whatnot. And at the end of the night, um, we, everybody before they leave writes down any personal experiences on paperwork and they turn it into the lead. Uh, mm-hmm. Evidence is assigned at that point, whether it be you know cameras one and two, audio one, whatever the case may be, we number everything uh, so we know where it's coming from. Uh, evidence review is due within two weeks from the team members. Uh, we sit down actually myself and two other members who are actually way better with computers than I am um, we 'll sit down we 'll pull all the information off we 'll go through it get it ready, and then we email it out through the team uh and let them review it themselves uh, and give us their feedback
1: mm-hmm.
2: and when we get that, we start to put it all together and like I said, if we have any tough spots or any questions, sometimes some of the outside look from another team is a fantastic thing to utilize. Um, just kind of get their input. We put it all together. Uh, we actually put everything on a jump drive and then we present it to the client and show them our findings, whether it be we find stuff or not. Okay. Yeah. A written report.
1: Oh, very good. Yeah. We do, we do a very similar thing there. It sounds like you're pretty standard to a lot of groups. Mm -hmm. Um, how good is your, are your people about getting your evidence reviewed within two weeks?
2: Um, I would say 80% are fantastic. There's a couple of slackers you got to kick in the backside once in a while. Um, most, most, but,
1: most firefighters, I guess, right?
2: Yeah, well, you know, we're, we're a special breed.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, but, yeah, absolutely. You know, sometimes it goes to three weeks just depending on life, and we get that. You know, all things sure. happen. Um, but usually three weeks is about the max anybody's ever gone. Um, okay. So that gives me a week to put it together. We always tell the client we'll be back to you within a month. So that gives me a week to put everything together in the final
1: report. So what do you do with all this evidence? Where where do you Uh, keep it? What do you do it? How do you store it? How is it accessible? So the one thing we do with all of our evidence,
2: any audio, uh, camera, whatever the case may be, is downloaded and stored on a uh, uh, hard drive, like a portable hard drive. Mm -hmm. We actually store it on three separate uh, hard drives. Um, That way if one breaks, we still have it. Uh, So it's the full audio, it's the full video, all the readings, uh, the wife, my wife scans them and puts them on there into a format like a Word document
1: mm-hmm. or a PDF.
2: Uh, she puts everything on there, and then it's labeled as that you know, individual's house or whatever, and then everything we've extracted is put into a separate folder on, under the same uh, investigation so that we have the presentation as far as what we found. And then we store it on three different jump drives.
1: Okay. Uh, here's the cop and me coming out. What do you do with the original, and what do you do to ensure that it can never be altered or doctored or anything real similar to what we would do in our evidence locker and police work.
2: Um, the original is kept on, like I said, on a drum drive in my home. Um, oh my I actually keep them in a metal cabinet in a, in a gun safe in the closet. Uh, it's just because that's where I remember it is. Okay. Uh, so I keep it in there. Um, and my one of my uh, uh, AV tech, who's our tech manager, Andy, um, he locks the program. It's password protected, so nobody can get to it except him and me and my wife.
1: Okay, so it's pretty secure. Yeah, we try. Okay. Um, well, in, in the world of evidence, you can't, you got to be successful. And I, and I guess I'm a bit of a stickler on that based upon my, my background. Uh, but it sounds like you've got a pretty good uh, pretty good system there to, to, to keep Thank it secure. Because obviously what, what concerns me is if we, we ever are able to take evidence and present it to a court, you got to be able to prove no one else had access to it real similar to evidence. And and I think that's one thing that we're lacking uh, in our field. And we've got to do something to, uh, to, to fix that. Too many teams are getting pieces of evidence and they're just leaving on the open computer at home or whatever. And to me, that doesn't help, but that's, 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 once again, the cop in me thinking, we got to keep evidence sterile.
2: I absolutely get that, Larry. As a fireman, we're the same way with all of our reports and everything we have to document and write. Um, It's the paramedic side. Absolutely, I totally get it. Same with fire investigations.
1: Yeah, and uh, what's your favorite piece of equipment? What do you use on investigations that you particularly like or have had success with? You know, we we use a lot of stuff. Uh,
2: We we actually have a guy on our team named Anthony um, who's an electronic whiz. Uh, he he builds most of our equipment. Instead of buying it, he looks at it and goes, oh, I can make that. And he does it for like $50. He goes to Radio Shack, and it's kind of cool. Um, what he makes, I don't get it. Again, I'm a woodworker and a fireman. I don't understand electronics. Um, but he uh, he makes us some cool stuff. Uh, the Ghost Box has been a lot of fun to play with, um, you know, like a portal.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: That's that's been a lot of fun to play with. Uh, we're just getting into that a little bit, but my overall favorite piece is definitely the audio recorder because it's it's one of those things that it it, it can't be speculative. You know, it's it, as long as you're regimented about tagging your evidence and making sure you don't whisper. Is the crew, you know, the two people out, um, right. and making sure that you tag everything, whether you, your ankle cracks or your stomach growls or you burp, whatever the case may be. As long as you're very good about tagging everything. Which I would say probably ninety percent of our investigators are. We've got some new ones that we're working on. Um, the recorder is fantastic. You get some great stuff, and I feel like a kid in a candy store every time I hear you know an EVP. Um, when you're listening to that evidence and that review, and it comes up, and, and you know it's neither one of you, and that's just yeah. a, a feeling.
1: And I gotta agree with you. The adrenaline rush is there when you catch something. I mean, we could, I sit here and I preach the the word of. Uh, uh, Get, collecting your evidence, storing it properly, skeptically examining it, but still, when you get something, the, the adrenaline rushes there. It's kind of hard to, to, to n- deny that. Absolutely.
2: Um, and you hit it right on the head. I mean, even when you get a piece of video evidence, it's just you, you're just giddy. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, and we've all experienced it at some points or another, and it's always a downer too when you think you've got something good and you're able to, you end up having to debunk it. So that's always a, <laughs> a, a bummer so too. So, you know, you you talk about the ghost box there. Um, I initially had some problems with it, and I'm still, uh, I, I still have some issues with how it's used sometimes. Mm-hmm. But is there a piece of evidence out there that if you were bringing in somebody new, you would not want them to utilize it? Or a piece of equipment that you just don't think is helpful in an investigation? Um,
2: I, I'm not a big fan of the ovulus myself. Oh. Okay. I, I think there's too much room for interpretation and/or error with it. Um, it's it's we have an a, the original version of it, mm-hmm. and I just feel like it's just a bunch of preloaded words uh, that have no meaning or bearing on anything. It just spits out random things, and I've had a, a couple investigators that you know kind of fall into the trap of oh my god, I'm being talked to, and it's like well you know it it said car you know yeah it's like well okay um so yeah and and you know the other one is the uh, the orb thing um okay you know it, it's one of those things too that
1: probably the biggest controversy and conflict between paranormal investigators i think out there is the orb issue i am not an orb man myself so i understand um, um, But at any rate, uh, what we're going to do is when we come back after this next break, I want to talk to you a little bit about training and I want to talk a little bit about first responders in this field. So uh, that's uh, a topic that's really near and dear to my heart. So folks, stay with us. I got Brian Messinger with us tonight on this episode of Paranormal Stakeout. So stay tuned and we'll be right back after this.
0: The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God, It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is, For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com.
4: You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide and more
1: And, yes, we are back for round three of tonight's episode of Paranormal Stakeout with my guest, Brian Messinger. Um, Brian's a firefighter in the Chicago area, firefighter, paramedic of 28 years, and uh, serving his community, serving those that are in, in distress. Uh, and being a career law enforcement man myself, my hat's off to you. Thank you for your service, Brian. Um, Talk of getting back to the groups here, I want to talk a little bit about training, because this is something, you know, you're a firefighter, you went through the fire academy, you've gone through um, uh, in-service training over the 28 years, police academy for, for me, you know, in-service training, we're, we're constantly being trained. Yep. Are we seeing enough of that in this paranormal field that we're in?
2: Honestly, I don't believe so, Larry. Um... i I look at some of the local groups there's three or four local groups around me by where i'm at Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and i i've been on investigations with some of them and i I shake my head a little bit when they don't know how to use a piece of equipment but they're walking around with it and it's a little frustrating it's just like the same thing in the firehouse it's just it's like okay new guy here's how we do this um yeah, it's a little bit frustrating, and I don't really believe there's enough training going on uh, in, in the paranormal field.
1: Well, and, and and a lot of it is not, I don't think, the fault of groups. There's, I mean, there's – what did I hear one time? The Los Angeles area, there's something like 5,000. I'm sure I've got that number wrong, but an exorbitant number of paranormal groups in the Los Angeles area alone. And most of them – and this is, this is not critical – most of them are mom-and-pop-type groups – that sure. just like to go out in the you know on the weekend, get a thrill, and go back and forget about it until they do their next one, and don't do a whole lot to change, get better at it, learn their equipment. I agree with you on the equipment thing. I it it, it scares me when people use pieces of equipment and they they don't even know the science behind it or the theories behind it. Right. Um, your your own. Your own venture into the paranormal field—I'm sure, like myself, there was nobody there to train us. We had to do a lot of it on our own.
2: Absolutely, um, a lot of on-the-job training.
1: What do we do? What? How do we change this?
2: Um, and then again, it goes back to maybe you know doing some kind of a commission or having a set of national standards. Or you know, there's there's national standards for fire training. There's national standards for police training and every other training under the sun. Oh, we don't have anything for this. Um, oh,
1: but 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 you can't tell me, uh, the way I do it, you can't tell me the way I'm doing it's wrong. What makes your way the right way? That's what we hear. Right. What, do you, what say you on that?
2: Um, I, you know, whether it be a group of scientists or people with, you know, 47 PhDs that come up with a set of guidelines that are realistic and obtainable objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you have to use basically a SWAT system on it. Um, you know the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats against it mm-hmm. uh, and and bettered out that way uh, again, coming to an agreement with you know one million people out ghost hunting good luck
1: um, you know. and and that and that 's the problem but i I agree with you, and my audience and those that have heard my show have heard me preaching this in the the two and a half years that i've been on the air talking about coming up with standards and training i mean we have the Criminal Justice Standards Training Commission here in Florida, and it doesn't tell everybody how to speak to an inter- during an interview, for example. But it gives guidelines on things that have to be in an interview, and I really think that's what we need in our field here. If, if we're going to start collecting evidence that's going to be looked at and examined in a in a in by the courts, for lack of a better term, by by a, a independent parties, for example, you know. They investigate a homicide They're, down here in Vero Beach, Florida, pretty much the same way they do it in Eugene, Oregon. I mean, there's some law changes, some maybe some tactic changes, maybe even some equipment that's different, but the tactics are still the same. Right. Um, and it's I'm sure it's the same far thing far. in the fire service, yeah.
2: Absolutely the same. There's a set of national standards, NFPA, which is National Fire Protection Agency, comes up with a set of standards, uh, an Um and it doesn't tell you, like you said, it doesn't tell you exactly how to do it it gives you a guideline um, mm-hmm. as to how you should do it and here's a way to think about it. and you know the, and a lot of it is very standardized um, you know whether it be hose loads or whatever the case may be um, and and the firemen in me within my group I have a retired firefighters two re- I'm sorry two retired firefighters and two active professional firefighters in the group mm-hmm. um, and we we understand SDGs or SOGs standard operating guidelines, and I've gone so far as to write a set of guidelines for our group. Um, Excellent. And there, everybody gets a book when they come on. There's, I think, I think we have ten or twelve different guidelines in there. Um, just hey, this is how we do things. This is kind of how to do it. You know, you can variation a little bit from it, and that's why it's called a guideline. Um, mm-hmm. And it gives people something to work off of a base frame.
1: Um, what if they say I just, you know, I don't have time to do that in an investigation. I'm I'm actually conducting an investigation. I don't have a time to worry about those guidelines. If, what what do you what do you say to that person?
2: If it, if it's somebody on my team? Yeah. Um well, you, you can work with the guidelines or you don't have to be here. Okay.
1: <laughs> All right, fair it's enough. Dry.
2: Um and, you know, I I'm not one to be the, you know, typical, you know, chief or whatever and and flash the bugles around and, you know, slam my fist on the desk, but there's there's certain times, that, you know, you, you have to pull somebody aside and say, look, here's how we do this. If you don't want to do it that way, I can find somebody else. I don't need you, you know,
1: because
2: okay. I want to keep that chain of evidence the same. I want the investigations the same. So everything is always the same. So there's no discrepancies and or error.
1: Excellent. OK, well, I, I believe that's coming, Brian. Uh, the. Right here on this show, I've been preaching this, and I believe it's coming. And we're going to lead the charge towards that uh, inevitable way of doing things. Standards and training—I think it's going to be vital. Let's let's talk. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: No, I didn't say anything, Larry. Oh,
1: okay. I, I got something in my I ear. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, let's talk about let's talk about first responders in this field. Uh, I mean, I've got a firefighter in, in my team, a retired firefighter. In fact, uh, when I ran the police academy down here, he was in the um, fire training side, so we became good friends. He's a member of the team, and obviously, you know some police officers, there's there's jokes going back and forth between uh, us, <laughs> us and the host draggers. Oh, did I say that? I'm sorry. Uh, a,
2: a little smarter uh, you could have been a fireman, right? <laughs>
1: That's the but always jokes. But there's always that camaraderie there, you know. You you know you may be a firefighter, may be a cop, but man, when when the chips are down, we're next to each other. Yep. Um, do you think that's why we're we're bonded together in this field? Do you think it's do you think it's the camaraderie? Do you think it's that we share the same tragedies in life, the seeing the same horrors in life? Why do you see so many firefighters, police officers?
2: As I say, honestly, I think you hit it right on the head. I think it's the fact that we all share uh, a kind of a common thing of the things that we see through a career, um, things that normal people shouldn't see. Um, you know, I, I equate it to by no means being in war, but it's the things that we see over a very long careers can be disturbing. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think it's that, that common bond of it takes your mind off the job. Um, whether you're a fireman on duty for 24 hours or a police officer for your 8- or 12-hour shift, when you go home, you're still a police officer or a firefighter. You can't turn it off. Uh-huh. I, you know, My wife will tell you that we're, we're a different breed of people, much like soldiers. Uh, we're not wired quite the same as everybody else. Uh, I think that, that brings us together, and it, it, it's a stress relief. It's just something to do to take your mind off of everything from the job.
1: Well, let me ask you this, that I, I never quite looked at it that way. Do you think that what we experience in the paranormal uh, folks in our field, do you think it's a result of that stress or do you think it's actually real then? That's a good good question.
2: Uh, honestly, I, I, I believe it's real. Um, I think it gives me some validity to what we do on our jobs. Mm-hmm. Knowing that Again, you know, you can't save everybody. And I've, I've, I've had people pass away in an ambulance and scenes, you know, accidents, whatever the case may be over the years. And it gives me some validity to know that, yeah, maybe I couldn't do something, but I know that there's more to it than just this. Like I said earlier, um, it it kind of cements it for me that there's something else that, you know, it, okay, I couldn't help you, but I know you're going to be okay. There's There's something else to this. There's a next step.
1: Do you think that's possibly us, just hoping for something else?
2: Probably a little bit, um, but overall, I think that uh, you know my theory. Like again, when when one or you know one person sees it, okay, maybe it's a manifestation. And you know, if you got two or three people seeing the same thing, you know, a shadow or an apparition, or you hear a voice, you know, disembodied or whatever, mm-hmm. gives some validity to, wow okay you know something just happened because the three of us heard it yeah Um, so it gives me a little 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 bit of hope
1: yeah i can see that now i'll be honest with you my very first uh, full-bodied operation i was shoot i wasn't even on the job a year i got my start in the dade county jail down in miami Mm -hmm. and uh was on the floor and actually saw a a person walk down one of the cell blocks uh didn't think of it as a ghost. I thought it was a lieutenant trying to come upstairs and catch us goofing off or whatever, sure. and it turned out nothing was there, and there's a whole lot more to the story. But I was, I, I was brand new to the field and hadn't even thought too much about the paranormal, and here I saw this event. Uh, so that was me young before I even had, I was quite as jaded as I am now. Um, have you as a firefighter ever experienced something on duty?
2: I I actually have. Uh, In year 2000, um, it was Christmas Eve. Uh on duty at a volunteer department that I worked at.
1: Well, uh, you know what? You know what? I hate to do this to you, but we're in about 30 seconds before our next break, and I do not want to cut this story off in the middle. So, you know, uh, mark that, and we're going to be back in just a few minutes, folks. I am with Brian Messinger on Paranormal Stakeout. We're just about ready to hear a story uh, of him on duty and experiencing the paranormal, so stay tuned. It's going to be a good one. See you in just a couple of minutes. Thanks <music> for
3: Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com Exactly. Are you guys psychic, too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com
1: And we are back for our final round on tonight's episode of Paranormal Stakeout with my guest, Brian Messinger, Uh, 28-year firefighter paramedic in the Chicago, Illinois area. Um, you can check out his website at usparanormalresearch, all one word, usparanormalresearch.com. Uh and you can uh, f- learn more about his group. I'd also like to invite you to uh, check out my websites at www.paranormalstakeout.com, and you can also learn more about my team and what we're doing down here in Florida at www.paranormalfbi.com. Uh, also, gotta gotta mention the great program programming on the Exon Broadcast Network www.xcbn.net, and on that website, you can get to all the terrific programming that the X Zone Broadcast Nation has to offer. So, Brian, just before our break, uh, I'd asked you the question: Had you ever experienced anything on the job? And I have. I um, want to hear about it. The audience wants to hear.
2: Like I said, it was uh, 2000. Uh, it was Christmas Eve. I was on duty with a small volunteer part-time department that I, uh, the town I live in. Um, and we caught a car accident right around five 30, uh, six o'clock. So it was, you know, dark, it was snowing, um, it was coming down pretty good. Uh, halfway out there to the accident it was on the far West side of our district. Uh, dispatch told me that there was a reported car fire with possibly people trapped. Um, <clears throat> so obviously, you know, your adrenaline's going, uh, uh-huh. We got on scene. There was a car that was basically split in half and burning. Uh, there was a young man sitting on the other side of a fence, a large fence, because the car had a big pole. And he was just kind of sitting there almost like in shock, uh, rocking a little bit, and just kept saying, I killed them, I killed them, I killed them. And I kept asking him, who? He said, in the car, in the car. I said, how many? He said, I, my brother and my cousin. So I tell the, the gentleman who's in the back, of, he's known as a pipe man, the guy in the nozzle for the hose line, putting the fire up, Said there may be two in the car. And he found one in the car. Unfortunately, the young man perished. And I had a gentleman walk up to me and he says, hey, there's a boy hurt over here. Now, I, I got to tell you, I didn't think about it at the time. Um, so I walked over with him and his wife was standing there. They were both dressed in that... I call it the men in black suit, the 60s.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, That's kind of how he was dressed, and she was in that typical 60s, almost like a floral pattern dress, you know, the short dress with, like, the little coat. Um, Okay. And what what caught me off guard after the fact, after the car accident, we found a young man down the street a little bit. Uh, He'd been ejected from the car, and he was covered in an old blanket, and, they, you know, she never said a word, and he kept saying, I covered him up. I covered him up. I'm like, okay, thank you, got that. You know, about the fifth time, I'm like, okay, appreciate it, thank you. Uh, and I asked him if he could hang out until the police get there because they're going to probably want to talk to him.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, what I find interesting is, after the fact, there was no other footprints but mine and the paramedic around the young man who was covered with the blanket in the snow.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, um, snow, okay.
2: Yeah. And, you know, you think about things after the event, neither one of them had a coat on, like they weren't even acting like they were cold. Um, it was just so very strange. I asked the other guys on the crew if they saw the couple that had helped me and they didn't know what I was talking about. Uh, the only thing the, the engineer who drives the fire engine told me is he said, I saw you over by the boy, but I never saw anybody with you. And I thought, wow. Okay. Um, Never found a record. There was no car when we stopped and looked back. Nobody saw a car that these people would have been in, that they left, that they would have left in. Um, all around, just a very strange event. Given the whole circumstance, I, I really don't know who they were. We don't know where they went. There were, like I said, no footprints. There was no evidence that they were there other than this old ratty blanket that covered this boy. Um, very, very strange event. And to this day, it still uh, it baffles me a little bit. And I wish I had an answer for it, Um, but I got to believe that they were almost sent there to make sure I found that boyer. That's kind of how I feel about it.
1: And and you have no idea who put the blanket on the victim?
2: No, not to this day, no.
1: Was there ever any research done? Because I'm sure you'll agree part of what we do is history and research. Was there ever any research done about another accident involving a couple there back in the 60s?
2: The thing of it is is that stretch of road, there's been probably hundreds of accidents and multiple, multiple fatalities in that area. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's just a really crappy piece of road and it's high speed. Um, I as you know, being the curious fireman that I am, I proceeded to go back through all the fire records I could for the last 30 years that we had on file, and I couldn't find anything relating to people dressed like that, you know, because usually they would put descriptions, you know, in the old handwritten logs and stuff, and I couldn't find anything in there uh, of people like that, so it had to be before any records that we had. Um, And again, we we put a thing out in the paper, the local paper, Uh, if you were at this accident, you know, and you helped We'd love to talk to you. We need to get some questions answered, that type of thing, and we never got a response in any way, shape, or form. Hmm. Neither did the local sheriff. So,
1: did did you tell any of your um, your colleagues what what had occurred?
2: Well, again, I mean, you know, that night we had talked about it, and I was like, "You sure you guys didn't see this? The guy wearing the black suit, you know, with the skinny tie, and and his wife with the flower dress." And they're like, "Dude, you're off your rocker. You're crazy. There was nobody with you. You were the only one over here." I'm like, no, there there were two people with me, and nobody saw them. And there was probably 10 or 12 different firefighters and paramedics and police officers out there um, by that time, and nobody saw them.
1: Not so I'd lay, out, I'd lay out you just sort of let it go after that, huh?
2: You know, I, I just accept it for what it is, Larry.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, we've all had a lot of us have had those little experiences where uh I can still see that guy walking down the the uh cell block, you know, it's mm-hmm. just as plain as day. So, but how do you prove it? And see that's where we're at in, in this right. field. Right. You know what you saw, you know what you experienced and there are going to be people that say there was some sort of psychological um reason that you saw the this, but you know what you saw, I know what I saw how do we reconcile it? And that's, that's what drives me. That's what drives me to try to find the answers as to what it is. And I personally don't know what it is. Um, I do not know what this phenomenon is. I do believe there's something out there, but my quest is to find out exactly what it is. Is it something supernatural, paranormal, or is it our own minds? I don't know yet, but that's where I'm going with it anyway. So, much for, my, so much for my soapbox.
2: And honestly, I'm, I, you know what? I'm not so close-minded to think that my way is the right way. I'm, I would gladly entertain um, and talk to you after this uh, about your thoughts and views on it because I'm very intrigued.
1: Oh, and none of us know, my friend. None of us know, and that's the kicker. So many people get out there and they say, you know, this is the answer to everything. Uh, and it's not we got to keep it an open mind and we've got we've got to search those answers and to go where the evidence takes us Yes, so yes. Um, but I got talked about firehouses for a second sure. and I know I've done prisons and jails and had some crazy things happen, but I've heard Firehouses can be pretty active. Do you have any comment on that?
2: Well, I've, I've actually investigated one firehouse of a local town uh, mm-hmm. And you know, unfortunately, it was a very quiet night. We didn't get anything um, but there's a firehouse up in Milwaukee that is not too far from the Children's Hospital up there that has all kinds of activity reported. And, um, and I know a bunch of Chicago firemen that tell me the same thing as some of their firehouses. And I got to believe that, again, we're a very passionate group of people about our job and what we do. We love the firehouse. You know, if you're a fireman, you love the firehouse. It's just a great place. It's your second family. You spend more uh-huh. time with them than you do your own family. And yeah. I believe that you get very attached to things. Um, and you know, it's just kind of a good, safe place to be.
1: Yeah, and uh, and not to mention the fact that uh, a firehouse, like a police station, prison, jail, emotions run high. I mean, uh, and you got to believe that's imprinted somehow into these into these buildings. Yes. Um, any place in Chicago, in particular, and I, I, I guess you can't really uh, divulge where. But have you heard any specific stories about firehouses? From other firemen in your area, be it Chicago or your town
2: um I've heard a couple like I guess that I know a couple of Chicago firemen um that have told, what are they
1: what are they seeing I guess is what I'm trying they, to get at
2: there's there's one firehouse that a gentleman told me that multiple guys on the shift have seen him and other shifts uh have seen who they believe to be one of their old lieutenants from probably the thirties, kind of given the dress that he has on the wear uh-huh walking around the firehouse and basically doing his rounds, you know, just checking the firehouse, making sure everything's in tip top shape as near as they can figure. They've seen him multiple times. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, like I said, I've I've talked to a couple of guys. They, they won't tell me which firehouse because they don't (laughs) think they're crazy. Um, But they've, they've told me about it. I've had three separate guys tell me about that are in the same firehouse that yeah, they've seen this guy. Um, so you know that's that's pretty cool. Um, that's fantastic. The Milwaukee one I don't know too much about. I've just heard stories, um, but yeah,
1: yeah. We've um, when we get that stuff down here also. There's a one particular police state department that I I won't mention by name, but I've had um, officers and dispatchers talk about. Uh, one of their volunteers and you're right about the emotions and the camaraderie, the brotherhood that's got to, to delve up a whole lot of, um, of emotion. But they see one of their volunteers uh, coming in and out and, and they'll hear his voice on occasion inside the police station. And uh, that's that's local in my area also. So it's 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 with us, too, I guess, is my point, Brian. It's uh, sure quite a phenomenon. Um, you know, as much as I really hate to say this, we're just about ready to, to, to wrap up tonight, but I wanted to it's take a, a second. Yeah, it has been a pleasure. I've enjoyed it. I've got a lot more questions I'd actually like to ask, but uh, maybe another time. Sure. But I, I also want to take uh, just a second to thank you and your brothers and sisters uh, in the fire service up there. We make jokes about uh, firefighters on the police side, but we couldn't do it without you. And uh, thank you for your service for your to your community, my friend. And thank you for yours. All right. Folks, this is it tonight for Paranormal Steakout. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on the other side. Take care.
0: If you are looking for a safe zero-calorie natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for.